Hey, hey, it's your girl, Carla Renata. Sorry to bother you as in theaters, Ant-Man and the Wasp and Whitney Houston, Doc. And I got a special guest. Stay tuned to find out who it is. Yes, Whitney. And the sun begins to fade. Hey, hey, y'all. It is because that was my best imitation of Whitney Houston. I wanted to start out with Whitney today because we are celebrating the 4th of July, just having passed. Me and my special guest, we have our red solo cups, the fancy kind. Pinky out, though. Pinky out. <laughs> I am your host, Carla Renata. This is the 20th episode of Black Tomatoes. You can find us on iTunes and on YouTube. Give us those five stars on iTunes if you like us. Chat with us on the YouTube channel. We will chat back. And today, Scott Menzel is not able to join us, but we do have a very special guest, and his name is Albert Lawrence. Hey! Hi. Albert is a really dear friend of mine, and he came to help me out in a pinch. He's done some entertainment work for ABC Television. Mm-hmm. He's worked for Disney. He's done. He's like the hostess with the most. <laughs> <laughs> like the cupcakes. I like the one you know with the cream center. You know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I love him dearly. So he came to help his sister out today. Thank you for um, having me on. I love it. So um, let's just. Uh, run real quickly into some news that happened this week instead of going right into the films. Okay. So, because we're going to talk about Ant-Man and the Wasp and though I, I don't think that Steve Ditko is in that Marvel Universe realm. I think he's the DC realm. Well, no, no. Steve is actually Marvel. So like, Marvel, yeah, okay. Yeah, he and Stan so I was Lee. like, I'm, when I thought about Spider-Man, I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure if Spider-Man is DC or Marvel. Let me just double check that. But okay. Steve Ditko, who helped create Spider-Man and, and Doctor, Doctor Strange, Strange mm-hmm. with Stan Lee, he passed away this week at the age of the old ripe age or the young ripe age of 90 years old. Man. But he lived a life. I'm saying that he lived till he was 90. 90. And he got to see two of his creations become like international phenomena. That's huge. Just massive. And it's funny because I don't know outside of big, big comic book fans how many people even anticipated that Doctor Strange would ever get a chance to be as huge as it is getting played by Benedict Cumberbatch, being in like one of the hugest movies of all time, Avengers Infinity War and all I that. Know. So Steve really has a legacy. Really glad that we got a chance to enjoy his creations and they will outlive him yes yeah. most definitely yeah. and before we start talking about documentaries we talked about won't you be won't you be oh, my won't you neighbor won't you be oh. my neighbor on this show a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and it is the highest thus far Ooh. because we're halfway through 2018 won't you be my neighbor the documentary about mr rogers is now the highest grossing documentary mm. of 2018 mm. did you get a chance to see that oh one? i did and in fact i need to cheers to that let us <laughs> cheers because won't you be my neighbor that thing had it was more like won't you give me my tissue because <laughs> I could not. Carla, I tried. Growing up as a kid, I watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I, well, who, who, who that grew up in America didn't watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, Electric Company, and Sesame Street? All like, of those on. together, right? But I had no idea of the social significance of the show. Like, the one of the parts for me that teared me up was when he talked about the segregation and he talked about, you know, black people not being able to swim in certain pools or when people started, you know, putting pouring, pouring poison in the pools that they were swimming in. And the way that he reacted was by inviting that black man onto the show, and they both shared that little, that little swimming, swimming pool, pool with the. I, 
was it's like, real. Dang. It's real. The discrimination and the hatred it was yeah. was and is still very real. But kindness wins, you know? So. Kindness and love always win at the end of the day, most yeah. definitely. There's been some news out there about Carrie Russell oh, yeah. being rumored to be in Star Wars 9. Now, I have some very um, definitive things to say about that. Let's talk about it. I am... I love Star Wars. You know that I do. Mm-hmm. I'm like a Star Wars geek from the day go. Uh-oh. But I am real tired of seeing these brunette dolls be the heroines in the Star Wars movie. Can we see a Latina? <laughs> we saw an Asian, but she wasn't like the heroine. She was actually starting out to be the villain, and then they kind of switched her over switched real her quick. Over. But I'm like, can we see an Asian or a Latino or somebody black? Can we even... I wouldn't care if it was somebody blonde or mm-hmm. redhead, maybe. Does mm-hmm. it always have to be somebody that's brunette with bill brown eyes? Star- and no, no, shade, no shade to Carrie <laughs> Russell. I'm just saying. No shade to Carrie Russell, mm-hmm. but dang, really? Uh, you know what? Let's let's give them a chance, though, right? I because to sip on that it, one. Okay, you can sip on that. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm saying there's still... She's just one of the first people to be announced that are going to be in it. There's still a couple of roles. They haven't exactly shared who's going to be cast in those roles yet. So there, there is space. There's still room there. But look, you and I both know. <laughs> don't you try you trying to get them. You we are, trying, you are I'm try, trying to believe in you them, Carla. You're trying to give them some rope. But I'm like, the rope has a knot in it, and she we you and I both know that she is gonna be one of the heroines in the film where they would not be announcing her name this early. You I mean, know how it, it works. That's very fair, but I'm just saying she might have a partner that comes and joins her within the universe that might answer your call for that additional realm of diversity. But can I we give some props it. for the you know for at at least the attempt to continue to bridge outside of just like the boys club, you know? First of all, I'm gonna need a redhead to be in the movie. I'm just saying. So Disney, if you listening, <laughs> I need for a redhead or a Latina to be a lead in this in Star Wars nine. I'm G- just saying. Give them episode a nine, episode one X, whatever you wanna call it. Give them a recommendation. Who would you love to see in the next one? Okay, so if it had to be a person of color, I would love to see Issa Rae. Oh my gosh, Issa would be so dope. Issa Rae or Tiffany Haddish in Star Wars, can you even imagine? It would be a completely different movie. Please, can we start that hashtag now? Look, can can you even imagine Tiffany Haddish or Issa Rae in Star Wars? I just, I can live for that right now. Or even Jada Pinkett. I can, Jada Pinkett did The Matrix, so she she definitely could do Star Wars. She's got sci-fi chops and whatnot. She she got that hard body. She know how to do all all those those tricks and flips. That's what I'm saying. Oh my God. I'm just saying. So that, in in the people of color realm, that would be who I'd want to see. I'd like to see Gina Rodriguez. Oh, Gina could Gina Rodriguez is a, is a bad, she's a badass. She could could totally do that. And if it had to be somebody Asian, I'd like to see like Lucy Liu. Oh, of course. I mean, Lucy she did Liu. Charlie's Angels. She's I mean, fantastic. you know, let's 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 branch it out a little bit. Why are we going to the same? This is the thing. <laughs> all those people, Carrie Russell and all these other people that they use over and over and over again in these films, these people had to get a break at some point in time somewhere. Let somebody else get a break. Let let audiences fall in love with somebody else. I feel you. However, you know, sometimes, and you know this because you are an actress, you are a creator. Mm. Once people start working with certain people who they know they have a good rapport with, they have a tendency to keep on wanting to retain. No, I get so it. So J.J. Abrams has already worked with Carrie Russell before. I feel like I th- there's like already Ryan a language Kugler, there. Michael B. Jordan. And Michael like, B. Jordan. I get, it. Yeah, I get yeah. it, but you know, I'm just saying. I feel like can, I'm we bran- can we branch out? It's a universe there's room <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm just saying and one of the films that we're going to talk about in, in a few minutes sorry mm-hmm. to bother you has already grossed $717,000 and it's only playing in six 
15 locations. Yo, that means it's people... not even nationwide. So when it goes nationwide, it's going to be off and popping. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Um, so <laughs> I just I have to laugh. <laughs> so um, Shark Week is coming up at the end of the month. Okay, yes. And Discovery has already decided that they are going, they have reached out to some celebrities, Shaquille O'Neal, Sean, Olympian Sean White, mm-hmm. and Shania Twain, to kind of make, uh, make fun of themselves right. with Shark Week, um, with these promos beginning on July, that started on July 1st. There's one where Shania Twain is like, oh, I thought it was Shania Twain week. <laughs> like, really? I can't even. I, I, I want to just watch Discovery doing Shark Week just to see the celebrity promo commercials. That's I just want to see that. And the last thing I wanted to discuss really quickly mm-hmm. is Greta Gerwig, one of my all-time favorite female homie. directors other than Ava DuVernay. Mm-hmm. Um, she, <laughs> just had to point that out, because I talk about Ava DuVernay on the show all the time. Um, Greta Gerwig is directing Little Women at Sony. It's going to star so far Meryl Streep, Emma Stone, and Timothy Chalamet. What a cast. I know. They're stacking it. I know. Now, how many versions of Little Women do you even think that there are? Because I feel like... You know, I actually... I was curious to find that out, and mm-hmm. I actually saw that there were numerous versions of the film Little Women dating back mm-hmm. to, like, I want to say 1938. Wow. As far back as 1938. And, they, and they've all been directed by men except for this one and one other one. Really? Yep. So it's really gonna. It's so interesting to see what a film called Little Women is gonna be looking like, directed by a woman as opposed to a man. Even though the 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 movie is based on the a book, a book, right? So I just, yeah, I'm really interested to see how that's all gonna work it's, out. Isn't it funny how there are certain tales, certain movies that continue to be remade over and over again, even within different generations? It's almost as like there are certain elements of particular stories that just always seem to be resonant. Like A Star is Born, for right. example. Like, right. We can't get enough of the same movie, you know but what? just different and versions. And A Star is Born has been made, I, I want to say, three. I know at least three times for sure. Right. I've seen three versions for sure. There may be a fourth, right. but I know for sure three of them have been made. Right. And I know that, but this is what I thought was so shady, and no shade again. Oh no, no shade to Barbara Streisand, <laughs> but I thought it was so shady for her to re-release her version right before the Lady Gaga version his theaters. Like I thought that was shady boots. I'm like, come on, Barbara. Miss Streisand was like, Netflix, here you go. She was like, like oh. she was like, mm, this might be good, but let me just remind people what my version looked like with Chris Christopherson. I was. Lest we forget. I can't. I can't even with her. Brilliant, though. Brilliant marketing. That's smart. I can't can't with her. So let's get into the movies. We're going to start with... Yes, ma'am. I I am not your elder. Stop it. It's the South, though. You know, it's... uh, Negro, please. Anyway. (laughs) See, we're just going to act like... we. My good friend Albert and I, we we get together about once a month, and Mm -hmm. we catch up, and... It's like marathon sessions that it's we do. Just... So this is just an on-camera <laughs> right. so... recorded documentation of what we do every month. So thank you for joining us at Happy Hour right here, basically. Is happy what Hour at Black Hollywood Live with our Cheers. Red Solo Cups. Indeed, Cheers. yes, yes. <laughs> so I, I, Sorry to Bother You was playing at Sundance. Mm. It was one of those tickets that was impossible, impossible to get. Wow. I saw it at Sundance, and then I saw it again. So what is what is it's really hard to describe this film. Boots Riley is somebody that I think he he came out of the record industry into filmmaking. Yeah. So 
that transition in itself is is interesting to say the least. But for him to come up with the premise for Sorry to Bother You, Sorry to Bother You, in a nutshell, is one of those films that it stars Lakeith Stanfield, mm -hmm. Tessa Thompson, Danny Glover, among others. Um, Army Hammer is in it. He does a fantabulous job in it. And Amari Harbick, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. Oh, I forgot Amari was in it. Yeah, Amari yeah. Hardwick is playing this crazy character. He's crazy. Got a patch. Or he something? got a patch. He got like this little twirled up. Must. It's, it's a lot going on. But um, it's one of these films that is. It's like a weird sci-fi social commentary type of film. Mm -hmm. It's the type of film that you walk out of there going. Did I like that? What was that? I'm not quite sure. Mm. It was weird, but I kind of dug it, but I'm not quite sure why I kind of dug it. But for those that are listening on iTunes and those that are watching on YouTube, let's show the trailer so you can see a little bit of what I mean. Mm. You want to make some money here? Use your white voice. My white voice. Thank this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer. <laughs> this is Langston from Real Value. <laughs> was that Visa? MasterCard. You're going upstairs, my compadre. Okay, bravo. You don't have to sell out. I'm not selling out. Mm. Here's the starting salary. Well, man, I'm gonna have to get me some new suits. <laughs> <laughs> See, now this is the thing. I, I wanted, I picked this part of the clip very specifically because I really wanted people to hear the difference between when Danny Glover says, oh man, if you wanna make some sales, you gotta use your white voice. I use a term that I thought was clearly my own term, and I come, have come to discover that it's not just mine. Mm -hmm. But I use a term that I uh, all the time call code switch. Mm -hmm. And when I say code switching, I mean there's certain, when you're around certain groups of people, you behave and you speak a certain way, sure. right? So in this film, Lakeith Stanfield is taught by Danny Glover that he has to speak a very specific way in order to make sales. When he was calling with his regular little black man voice, folk were hanging up on him. He would say hello, they would be done, and it was it. And he couldn't get past his sales. But then what happens is in the process of him code switching, mm -hmm. he loses himself and becomes somebody that he doesn't recognize, his friends don't recognize him, his girlfriend doesn't recognize him, and it becomes one of those stories about how far will you go mm -hmm to make that almighty dollar? How far will you go just to fit in to get those things that you want and that you need in life? That expensive car, yeah. that nice condo, that nice apartment, that nice house. How far will you go to do that? And he goes all the way there. All the way. All the way there. And it's crazy. <laughs> and this is Boots Riley's directorial debut. So this mm -hmm. is his very first film. To get this type of accolade over your very first film and be honored by Sundance before the award season even starts. They gave him, the Sundance Institute gave him an awards here in L.A. a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. To get that type of honor, and your, your film has not opened in a theater yet, and it has not been anywhere but in a, the film festival circuit, right. that's crazy. It's, it's absolutely bananas. And it's wild because, to me, what that says is a movie that, like you said, you thought that the term code switch was just something that was within your I vernacular. I've, I've heard it as well. Um, but that idea that, that one might have to suppress who one actually is and, and like morph in order to, like you said, to get ahead into different venues and really in order to excel in certain things. Like that's a universal concept. Um, but definitely as black people, as African-Americans, 
I know that that is something that is not just, even though this movie is very fun and is fictional and is absurdist, it's taking something that is very rooted within a reality, right? Mm. And so, I mean, not to get too personal here, but I'm wondering, like, for you, have you ever found yourself having to put on a quote having unquote, a white voice? Mm-hmm. I didn't think that mm-hmm. that's what I was doing. Okay. It's, to be honest, when I watched Sorry to Bother You, I'm like, oh, I've actually been doing that. And you, you, this is what happens. As, mm-hmm. a, as a person of color in this country, yeah. you end up doing that without even thinking about it. Yeah. Like, you just, you just do it. Like, it's something that you learn to become comfortable with, sure. if, if, for lack of a better way to say it. Yeah. You just become comfortable with learning how to speak a different way. You become comfortable with, you know doing whatever you have to do to get that that promotion at that job. Right. You know what I mean? If you get for you to get that promotion at that job for some people, I would never do this, yeah. but for some people if them getting a promotion at a job means they have to throw somebody else under the bus, Damn. they will do that. That happens. Honk, honk. Yes, yeah, that yeah. happens in the film. He throws his friends under the bus to get that big promotion to go upstairs, yeah. you know, to be one of those A++++ callers and cuz they're working at a telemarketing firm mm-hmm. is what happens. So it it basically takes place in a telemarketing firm. He's lost his job. He's driving a bucket. His girlfriend is twirling signs on the corner, you know. And you do she, what you got to do. And, but, she's, but his girlfriend is very socially conscious. She's wearing her, she has different messages on these big, ginormous earrings that she wears. She's got like this rainbow hair. She, but can we just talk about the actors for a minute? Lakeith Stanfield is one of these actors that he's floating under the radar, but everybody knows who he is. He was in Get Out. He was oh, in three different films last year. He is to me. He was me, in Come Sunday. He was uh, in Get Out. He was in, uh, there was one other film he was in. I can't think of the name of it right now, but he was in a lot of movies last year. Mm-hmm. And he uh, just. He was pop- in Death Note. Yes, Death but there yeah. was another one other than Death Note, because I saw, I actually interviewed him for this film. Shame on me. Mm-hmm. But I. He it was another film and he was good in it too. Well, he definitely rocks in the television show Atlanta. Yes, like he he's in Atlanta in every too. week. Yeah. But he did three movies last year, mm. and he generally does two to three films every year. And he just kills it every time he hits the screen yeah. because when you meet him, he's very unassuming. He's a man of very few words, but on screen, he just slays every time a camera hits his face. Mm. I, I'm so in love with him. And Tessa Thompson. Oh come on, Tessa. Tessa Thompson, she does. She's at a point where she's doing no less than three films a year too. And Tessa, in the mix of these films, like she has such a cool sort of resume and what she's keeping on her plate all at one time because she is even playing in the Marvel universe. She kills it in Thor. Like in yep. Thor Ragnarok, she was one of the true highlights yeah. of that film. But I said on this show when we reviewed Thor, what uh-huh. I wasn't having about her character. What? Why are you looking all sad? Because see, you about no, no, to rain on Tessa's. No, I'm not. I'm not going to pour acid rain on her parade. I'm not. But what? But what? <laughs> acid rain. But what? Because that's what I say when somebody is really just trying to rain on your parade. I'm like, why are you throwing acid rain on my parade? Oh, so um, I'm not going to throw acid rain on her parade. But what I am going to say is, I feel like she in in Thor. I could have did without her drinking a forty ounce. Like really. <laughs> 
Yeah. You know what I'm I saying? Mean, like, why no. did any of the other characters, like, were they smoke? Just like, what movie did I just see with somebody in, in Ocean's 8 mm-hmm. where they had Rihanna smoking a joint? Why the black person always got to be smoking a joint, drinking a 40 ounce? Like, you know what I'm saying? Well, Carla, did you want her to be sipping out of a classy red cup like this? Is yes. it, you would have rather had her pour it Look, and then pour I it? don't care what she <laughs> sipped it out of. She could Why couldn't she have, why couldn't she have, you know, some Perrier? Why did it have to be a 40 ounce? <laughs> some Pellegrino, perhaps? I'm like, you know, it could could it have been some sparkling water? Like, why did it have to be a forty ounce? I mean, that, that, but that's that was a question that, worth but that asking. Was, yeah. But that literally was the only complaint that I had wow. about her in that movie. But I, but that did not get lost on me. Just like it didn't get lost on me that Rihanna was smoking a Cheech and Chong no, joint in Ocean's yeah. Eight. I'm like, and and I thought at first, like I said, when I reviewed the film here a couple of weeks ago, mm. I'm like, oh, really? This is where we're going? And then she, they quickly redeemed her, so I, I got over myself. But I'm just like, ugh. But see, you know what? I think that that's valuable, though. Like, it's valuable to hear what someone's initial reactions are. And so you shared, you know, look, I thought it was wild for Brianna to be smoking that. But then you just said, but once you watch the character fully. I think you need a refill. I need a little, like a little little (laughs) refill. I think you need a refill. Yeah, like I I think that's like, Bam, and we're going to kill it. Bam, man. There we go. Because you know what? I guess because we don't do 40s on this show. So (laughs) I've heard, y'all. We're classy. It's my first time here at Black Tomatoes. We do do South African red wine. Because we're international. I hate you so much right now. <laughs> I hate you. Because it's the World Wide Web. Whatever. Yes. Okay. Okay. But the other thing, back to Sorry to Bother You, the other thing mm. about Sorry to Bother You is that they have these characters. The characters are called <laughs> Diana Debauchery. Mm. Oh, wow. And That's she tries wonderful. to say Debauchery. I'm like, no, boo, it's Debauchery. Langston, Detroit, Steve Lift. I mean, it's just, it, it, and then what happens is, is one, it, has this little twist toward the end where it kind of shows you what happens when you sell your soul mm. for stuff. Because every at some point, I don't care who you are, at some point everybody kind of sells their soul just a little bit for stuff. And then you reap the repercussions of that, whatever that may be. Mm. So mm. anywho, that's what that is about Sorry to Bother You. Then our next one that we're going to talk about mm. is... Dun, da, 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 da. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Yes. Yes, <laughs> Ant-Man and the Wasp. Now, I did not see the first one because I thought, really, do I want to go see a movie called Ant-Man? I did not. So I didn't go see the first one. But I did go That's see good. the second one because when once I got over myself and realized that Paul Rudd was in it, yeah. I kind of love Paul Rudd. Like, me and Paul Rudd have an imaginary relationship going all the way back to Clueless. A word? Oh, yes. okay. Okay. So I, was you, just, I just saying. So, so you was up in the movie with um with the character Cher. Yeah. The, you know, you were, with Alicia look, Silverstone. You look, was... Alicia, me and Alicia Silverstone were kicking it. No. <laughs> I'm kicking. I'm just kidding. Um, But I love Paul Rudd. And okay. he was in a movie a couple of weeks back. Well, yeah, it was maybe, maybe a week or two weeks. It was called The Catcher Was a Spy about a this about this Chicago... He's a Chicago white? No. Anyway, a baseball player named Mo Berg, mm-hmm. who was bisexual, mainly gay, mm-hmm. um, that was a spy. Like, what are the odds that somebody that is playing baseball in the United States is also a spy and, like, killing people and kicking butt? Like, it was hilarious. But Paul Rudd played the title character, mm-hmm. and he produced that film. He also produced Ant-Man, and he co-wrote the script, which... Explains why it's hella funny. So hold on then. Cheers. Cheers to Paul Rudd. Cheers to Paul Rudd. Cheers to creators (laughs) making their own content. I said this a couple weeks ago. I was like, I'm really digging the fact that 
Hollywood actors are not, are no longer, I should say, sitting back and waiting for Hollywood to bring them no. scripts. But you know, it was kind of like that in the 30s and the 40s. Mm. Betty Davis was like that. She didn't wait for somebody to bring her a script. She would, you know, go out and actively seek stuff, even though she was a studio contract player. Mm. A lot of the women did that. The men didn't have to because they would just bring the men stuff. But the women had to work really extra hard. And Betty Davis was one of the first women to have her own production company. They gave her hell for it. Oh, but now, you know, it's becoming more of the norm. Yeah. And people are getting used to it. But Ant-Man and the Wasp was everything. It was so funny. Oh. It was hella... F- I haven't laughed that hard. It was like... It was like a superhero... A superhero movie that makes fun of itself for being a superhero movie. Uh-huh. It was really kind of hilarious. It's a very self-aware kind yes, of Yes, it was a very yeah. self-aware. So what happens is I, when we leave Ant-Man the first time, he gets put on house arrest for two years with an ankle monitor. So when we reach him this time, he's still got the ankle monitor on. We see what he's doing to like kill his time. He's playing hoops in the house. He's doing the drums with the headphones on. He's building cardboard slides for his daughter, you know, cre- creating... Um, very uber creative ways to entertain his daughter. I'm like, dang, I would have loved to have that for a dad. It's an elaborate thing. I'm just saying, they have a a cardboard slide, (laughs) but they end up, um, he ends up meeting up with the wasp and uh, her dad. Evangeline Lily and her dad, who's played by Michael Doctor. Mm -hmm. Michael Douglas, Mm -hmm. um, Mr. Pym, where they are trying to get back into the realm to get her mother because her mother went into the realm to get to to get to save somebody do something I don't know but she gone is the point like well, she, she... the mommy's gone mm-hmm. <laughs> the, mommy, <laughs> the mommy is gone and she's back let me let me and while, while you're pulling that up yeah, I'm going to say this up real quick. that with the very first Ant-Man um, I think that it took a lot of us by surprise because you know at first um, I, Edgar Wright was going to be directing that that very first Ant Man, and so it, fans were like ready and ready they were for enraged. it. Enraged, um, right? When Peyton Reed <laughs> took over, but you know what? Like Peyton freaking delivered, and and I was reading about this second Ant Man and what Paul Rudd has been saying in terms of maybe or what they've been saying about the difference, and they were saying during the very first one, this was the first time that we had a chance to see Paul Rudd in this sort of like action hero role, and so he was playing a little bit less silly, more like kind of like straight man serious thing but after that worked they said that now during this sequel Paul got a chance to actually lean more into his natural sort of like comedic timings did you feel as though he was very comfortable with the comedy oh my god it was so funny I mean Uh, Marvel is celebrating his 10th anniversary this year and they are just popping them out one behind the other just fierce fierce and fiercer yes Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean it was hilarious he he gives Ant-Man Ant-Man is like very clueless. He's like this clueless kind of lovable character, mm-hmm. which is what makes you fall in love with him in this one. And Evangeline Lily as Hope is one of these superheroes that she's she's kicking butt and taking names. We I went to the junket or the press conference for this and Evangeline Lily said that one of her favorite things about playing the Wasp mm-hmm. is that she got to be a Blade Runner. Oh. I'm not going to explain what that is. When okay. you see the movie, you'll know what it is. But she she loved being, being a Blade Runner. And the, the the women in this film, from Michelle Pfeiffer Ooh. to Evangeline Lilly to Hannah John Kamen as Ghost. Hannah John Kamen as Ghost, I really want to see her in some other movies. Because she was scary down. <laughs> She was so scary and evil. Even, at, even when I went, saw her at the press conference, she has... I don't know if you met. I've 
when there's some people that when you meet them, they have a very strong presence and aura about them, positive or negative, and she's one of those people. She has an extremely strong presence about her that was very entertaining. I was like, what was that? I heard the car. <laughs> that was her because she heard you about to talk about her. She oh, was right. like, what about my she presence? Was she was rolling up in the studio. <laughs> right. uh, I was like, what's happening? Ghost something. <laughs> oh. <laughs> See? I hate you so much. But she has a presence about her that just draws you into her that makes you want to watch her. Mm. Lawrence Fishburne is in this movie. He plays the person that kind of saved her a little bit when she was going through her metamorphosis. And I really like the fact that Lawrence Fishburne is a scientist in this film. He's not a villain. He's a scientist. He's hella smart. He's one of those people that help them figure out some things about the quantum realm. I mean, it's just really, it's a really wonderful, wonderful film. And I think that uh, children of all ages will like it, but adults will really like it too. It truly is a family superhero movie. Well, shout out to STEM with the science and technology and the engineering and the math. Thank you, Lawrence Fishburne, for representing. Again, (laughs) diversity in all realms because everyone, we can all jump in and do all these different things or all these different avenues that are available. And speaking of that, Mm. uh, when you mentioned Evangeline Lilly, um, you know, for, there was a while where we didn't really get a chance to see Evangeline Lilly on screen. Like after she finished up she with took Lost, a little hiatus. yeah, and then and we saw her some in like the Lord of the Rings universe, and then um, I think we saw her in Real Steel. But she took she took a break, so she's very selective with the material that she chooses to spend her time with. And so there had to be something about this Ant Man universe mm. that appealed to her, and specifically that character, in order for her to sign up. I'm gonna tell you what it is. Mm. This is the first time in the Marvel universe that a female superhero character's Mm -hmm. name has appeared in the title of the film, The Ant-Man and the Wasp. Usually it's Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. It's the Mm Ant-Man. It's Spider-Man. It's whatever man it is. There's not, like, the person and -and so-and-so. So So kudos to Marvel for giving her, giving her, because she said she was hoping that that would happen, and she wasn't sure, and then when, I think in the last movie, she didn't really get to fight, and they gave her a suit with wings, and she can minimize herself and uh, enlarge herself. Like, it's just, it's great. She gets to use those skills. She gets to use those skills. They, the city of San Francisco is its own character in the film. They do a lot of shooting of the car chases in in the city of San Francisco. Michael Pena and T.I. are hilarious. Hilarious. Oh, I I can't say enough about it. You guys, check out Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's really good. Okay, and last but not least, my girl. Hold on, we're already getting to a last? Yes, we're already getting to the last. This goes quick, dude. too quickly. It goes really fast. Okay, So, Whitney Houston. So, I... I don't know if I've said this on this show many times, but I know I've, I've told you this story and I've, I've told this story to many people. So when I worked as a publicist, I had the opportunity to interact with Whitney Houston. And that interaction took place in New York, upstate, with BB and CC Winans. They were on tour. And BB and CC Winans had a single out at the time called Hold Up the Light, which was a hit single with Whitney Houston. And what Whitney would do more often than not is she would show up at some venue, any venue, where B.B. and C.C. were performing. She would sing back up with B.B. and C.C.'s sisters, Angie and Debbie. She would sing back up, and then she would step out from the backup singing thing to sing lead on Hold Up the Light with B.B. and C.C., and then she would go right back to singing back up. You just gave me chills. The that. Whitney, I met Whitney Houston, and, I, and how do I know that? Because I saw it. I was there when she did it. She showed up. We were in the green room 
waiting for BB and CC to go on, waiting for, you know, me to confirm some journalists there to cover the concert. And Whitney straight up opened the door and was like, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? And I looked and I thought my eyes were playing tricks on me. It was Whitney Houston. I'm like, get out of here. It is not Whitney Houston. It was Whitney Houston. And she came in and she kicked it and she was real. She was a homegirl from New Jersey. There was nothing she she foo foo about there. There was no pretense about her. She was a down to earth homegirl from New Jersey who unfortunately for her just the spotlight I think just was too much for her. Like not everybody can handle that. It's a lot. Mm. It's a lot when people are coming at you like that. People come at you and I am by no means or any stretch of the imagination of Whitney Houston but when I was guest starring on a sitcom this past fall People would come to me because I was on this sitcom quite often, and people would come up to me after the taping, and it sometimes it would take me forty minutes to get to my car because people would stop me and want to talk to me, and I don't, I've never been that person that was obsessed with a celebrity like that. Like I, I'm never been that, so it really kind of it weirded me out when people were coming at me like that. So if that was happening to me on that very small, minuscule level, imagine what was happening to someone like a Whitney Houston on that grand scale. That's a lot. That's a lot. She this documentary directed by Kevin McDonald mm-hmm. and there's been many documentaries. There was one earlier this year called Can I Be Me. Mm-hmm. It was okay, but this one is probably the best documentary I've ever seen on Whitney Houston just because it pays homage to the artist and the person. It doesn't spend the whole documentary talking about the scandal. We know what the scandal is. I don't need to see a whole documentary about how Whitney Houston got addicted to drugs. I don't need to see a whole documentary about how Whitney Houston, um, her marriage with Bobby Brown did or did not go well. I don't need to see a documentary about how they made Robin Crawford out to be a villain. Robin Crawford was Whitney Houston's best friend and her her assistant. And if you wanted something, speaking from somebody that dealt with them for business back in the day, if you needed something done from Whitney, it had to come through Robin Crawford, period, end of subject. She that was, was the it. gatekeeper. She was the gatekeeper. Okay. She kept Whitney safe. She had be- she had Whitney's best interest at heart. Yes, Robin's a lesbian. I don't know if Whitney knew Robin was a lesbian or not, and frankly, that's none of my business. But what I do know mm-hmm. is that she had Whitney's back no matter what. And when it got to be too much, when the pressure was too much on Whitney to to get rid of Robin for one reason or another, then she had to sever those ties. And it was only after she severed those ties that things get a little funky for her. Ah. She had a very estranged relationship with her father, which, you know, for any girl with their dad, that's always weird when you have a weird relationship with your dad. She had a very interesting relationship with her mother. Her mother was 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 the disciplinarian between the two, between the mother and the father. The mom was a disciplinarian. Okay. And this documentary, Kevin interviewed her mom. He interviewed her brothers. He interviewed Pat Houston, who's one of the producers. He interviewed um, Ricky Minor, who was her musical director for years. He interviewed her her hair and makeup person, Ellen um, Lavar. He, who else did he interview? He interviewed so many people that I know for sure were very closely in relationship to her. Not people that didn't know her, not peripheral people, but people that knew her the best from the time she got here to the time she left. And isn't this one of the, this is probably perhaps maybe like the first documentary about Whitney Houston that actually gives the viewer access to those kinds of people who are so close to her. Well, Can I Be Me, they interviewed a couple of other people, but they interviewed some people that I had never seen or heard of before that were showing up at uh, Q&As and stuff, and I I just 
I don't know. I feel some kind of way when someone leaves this earth of that magnitude and people start coming out of the woodwork saying, oh, I knew her, I knew her, I knew her. I encountered Whitney Houston once in person mm -hmm. and a couple of times on the phone for PR purposes dealing with clients that, sh that her company, Nippy, was representing, and that's it. I do. I have never claimed to know her, know her. I've never claimed to be her good girlfriend and hang out with her, but the Whitney Houston that I saw with my own two eyes was a sweetheart. Wow. And when I met her, it was at the height of her career. It was before Bobby Brown. It was before... All, and Bobby Brown gets a bit bad rap. Like, people are like... Bobby Brown turned her on the drugs. No, her brother turned her on the drugs, mm. not Bobby Brown, her brother. And the by documentary the, gets into that? Yes, okay. and by the time Bobby Brown met her, she was full throttle. Mm. But because Bobby had the reputation that he had, people automatically had the the inclination to point the finger and go, oh, Bobby, Bob. No, it was not Bobby Brown. So people need to stop that. People need to stop making Bobby Brown the villain because he is not. Carla is shutting it down right now. <laughs> All y'all blaming Bobby. Stop it. No, because, I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's like, why, why are we doing that? But it is a beautiful documentary. It is a beautiful homage to her artistry, to her as the, the voice, as we like to call her, that, that wonderful voice that we love to listen to. They interviewed Kevin Costner, you know, and Kevin Costner, the best quote from Kevin Costner in that film is he said, he kissed Whitney once for himself and once for every other man in America. I love him for saying that. I love Kevin Costner for saying that. I love him so much. Did, did he ask Whitney for like an extra take? It was like, can we do that shot one more you. time? He one may more. have. I don't know. I he wasn't might have asked. I He's there. a gentleman. I think Kevin Costner is probably a gentleman. Yeah. But I'm here to tell you that Whitney the film or the documentary is at Whitney the Film online. Whitney. Um, the handle is at Whitney the Film. Okay. It is really wonderful. I think we have a quick little clip here that we can show very briefly. Ooh. There were times when I would look up to God and I'd go, why is this happening to me? I come from a family of singers. My mom, she was a little tough on Whitney because she knew what Whitney had. There were always a lot of secrets. When you don't resolve things and you don't deal with things, And they don't. <laughs> it makes me cry. Every time I hear her voice, every time I hear, I'm crying now. Every time I hear, ain't no tissue in here. <laughs> but every time I hear her voice, every time I hear Michael Jackson or or John Lennon or, or Prince or anybody who, in my opinion, has left this realm too soon, it really just breaks my heart. Mostly because... Mostly for selfish reasons, because I'll never get to hear anything else come out of that artistry again. So when people go to see Whitney the film, they need to know they're not going to see a film that is about a whole bunch of controversy and gossip and that negative stuff. It's, it's a very positive film, and it's one that does her right. And because it's produced by family, I think that's why it came out the way that it did. Gosh, that's gorgeous. And oh my gosh, I can't I can't look at you right now. I know, because my not, eyes are full of tears. Her eyes are just like tearing up and welling up. But um, but I think you know what you say is probably going to resonate also with, with all of your fans, all of your viewers and whatnot. I because, hope so. Because I feel like a lot of us out here, we're looking for things that can be enriching, that can uplift us. And for me, along with you, you know, Whitney's music does that. I mean, and whether that's talking about 
of course, the I will always love you, but also the I have nothings and the saving all my love. Ugh. And the list just goes on and on. Like, I, it, you know, I want to dance with somebody. There there are songs that sometimes I've DJed weddings in the past. Like, I, <laughs> oh, I, no. I, oh, you know, look, oh, no. look, I didn't, I didn't spend <laughs> some. And because of that, I can tell you there are certain songs where you can, sometimes you have, you need to find a song that's going to please grandma as well as like little cousin <laughs> over here. And when you put on something like a, I want to dance with somebody, Everybody gets out on the floor. You they know. still jam. It, it, it surpasses whatever the trends are and who's on this and this. So she had something that is immortal. You know, like the, it, again, her her art will actually outlive her, just like Steve yeah. Ditko's Spider Man. We're gonna do Spider Man forever. Yes, we've got Whitney forever. Yeah, so, yeah. so it it'll it'll her legacy and. And everything that we love about her will live on for eons to come. Eons. All right, so yes. we got a couple of minutes left, and in those couple of minutes left, I hope I don't cry my lashes. Off, oh my gosh, that would, just be, that would be the biggest no. tragedy Mm-mm-mm. of the day. Oh, let me don't see make my... me cry. Yeah. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so next Saturday, what's up? I am hosting a Q and A celebrating the 25th anniversary of Poetic Justice here what? in Los Angeles. What? Okay. Yes, I, at two o'clock at the LA Center Library. Yes, sir. Now hold With on. Any John Singleton. Oh, you announced it? Yes, oh I announced gosh. it. Okay, say it again. So next Saturday, July 14th, two o'clock, LA Center Library. Moi is moderating a panel with John Singleton. We don't know who else might show up. Janet might roll up and through there. Regina King might roll up and through, you know. Um, Tupac came because for obvious reasons. Joe Torrey might roll up and through. We don't know, but you know, some folk might be rolling up and through, but what I know for sure is Mm -hmm. John Singleton will be there. So you can go to my social media page and see everything about that there. Um, What else did I want to tell y'all? Oh, and next week we're going to talk about Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far. Eighth grade, and we're going to talk a lot, very extensively, about the celebration. I think it's the 50th anniversary of Yellow Submarine. Oh, whoa. Whoa, Beatles. At 50th or 40th, somewhere around in there, of Yellow Submarine. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I, I, you know, I want to take it back one more moment, though, to the poetic justice. Because <laughs> the reason I was like, oh, you know, I was <laughs> is because I'd seen on your social media that you were going to be moderating this yep. and 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 you were trying to hold it back and tell keep it a secret yes. who was coming to the thing yeah. so i thought she was about to spill it nah. but now you just done teased us <laughs> even more i guess we have to show up in order to yeah, see i know for sure that john singleton will be there okay. i don't know who else will be there okay. but i definitely know he will be there wonderful um but yeah june june why well, keep saying june july, see, july 14th saturday july 14th two o'clock if you're in the los angeles area please 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 come out and support your girl and support john singleton because you know poetic justice was his second film right after boys in the hood boys in the hood was in 1991 poetic justice was 1993 and what a difference in terms of tone yeah boys in the hood to poetic justice again i love when people don't allow folks to just categorize them in only one block you know like he broke out he was like and i'm gonna give you janet in this next i'm gonna get some romance gonna get tupac go ahead go ahead i love him for that he actually wrote that film specifically for janet jackson i'm trying to pull the flyer up so that i can get the specifics of it but Mm -hmm. it's my 
social media is betraying me today. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes it wants to play you when you actually need it. It is hating me. But anyway, <laughs> you'll see it. It's on Instagram. It's everywhere. I'll post it everywhere. And if I haven't posted it yet, I will. So check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is it for us. Dang, We can't dude. say goodbye. We had, our, we had our plastic solo cups. We got down. It was great. So I am your host, Carla Renata. You can find me across all social media platforms at The Curvy Critic. Again, do not forget to come out to the L.A. Center Library two o'clock on july 14th for the q a and screening of poetic justice with john singleton and where can we find you my friend albert i'm all over the place as <laughs> albert talks that's a-l-b-e-r-t talks t-a-l-k-s which is what i just had the privilege of doing with the lovely carla renata today so thank you so much for oh, giving me a chance to sit thank on you your... for filling in yeah. thank you we'll be back next week with scott menzel with another episode of black tomatoes until then we'll see you later peace from executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us, info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagramming, at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. The views expressed here are those of the host owner and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.